0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, OrlandoCityChurch.com. Today, lead pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called Living the 4 H Life. Today, we will look at the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached as our Lord defines the way to true happiness and contentment to those who would partake of his nature and blessed life, we will discover the heart of God that enables the Christian to experience happiness, true happiness, in our lives even today. Our scripture text comes from Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 1. Today's message is entitled, How to Live a Happy Life.
1: Now a happy life in God's kingdom is different than a happy life in the world, but God has created us to live a happy life. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse number 1. And the Bible says, And seeing a multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed. Everyone say, blessed. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you this morning this morning, that you've called us to a different way of life. I thank you that the life that you have for us is good. We thank you for your amazing grace. Master, we thank you that you laid out a plan for every person in this room 2,000 years ago, and we desire to live according to your purposes. Lord, I pray that the hearts of every person would be open to hear. Give them spiritual ears, not just physical ear, but a spiritual ear that their hearts can truly hear. And God, I pray today for myself. Help me, Lord. I need you. I'm dependent upon you. The third time today, Lord, I'm going to communicate the truth of this message. A truth that you first brought, inaugurating your purposes for planet Earth. I bless you today, and I bless your people, in your wonderful and your mighty name. Amen. Jesus gave a very clear picture of a happy life. The word blessed in the Greek is the word translated happy. It literally means happy. Some translations use the word blessed. Other translations use the word happy. Some even use the word fortunate. It goes way beyond our concept or understanding of what happiness is. Because happiness for the normal person, for the normal person that's living life, thinks of happiness in relationship to external circumstances. But the word happiness that Jesus used here, the blessed life, has a completely different understanding. It's a happiness based on an internal reality that's taking place in the heart of the individual. Blessed. Happy. Nine times Jesus uses this word blessed. Nine times he says it. Nine times. What Jesus is saying? I want you to have a happy life. Jesus came so that men and women and children who would become his sons and daughters would have a happy life. That's why he came. Really interesting, if you're a Bible student, if you went back just a couple of pages and you looked at the very last book of the Bible in the book of Malachi, you looked at the very last book of the Bible, the prophet Malachi, in the last chapter of the last verse of the Old Testament, of the old way of life, the way of the law. If you look at the last verse, God says this, in the last days I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And if it were not so, there would become a curse upon the earth. In other words, if I don't do this, there will be a curse come to the earth. The last verse, the last words of God under the old covenant were in relationship to a curse. The very first words of the most powerful message ever preached. The message that inaugurated a new way of living. A new way of life are the words blessing, the words blessed life. The very first words that came out of Jesus' mouth, the very first thing of all the things that Jesus could have communicated. Listen, the very first thing of all the things that Jesus could have communicated, the very first things that came out of his mouth, happy, blessed are they. Wow, powerful. I mean, it says something about the heart of God. It says something about what Jesus has for your life. You see, this message, in context, in understanding, under the old way of life, under the old system of rules and regulations, of ceremonial and civil, and and trying to keep the laws that God had told them to keep, the laws that were instituted because the first king, by the name of Adam, who had been given dominion over everything, who had the opportunity to live a blessed life, Adam, who had everything that he could possibly imagine. The whole world was under his dominion. He had everything. There was no sickness. There was no sin. There was no addictions. There were no problems. The animals were subject to him. He actually communicated with the animals. Adam, who had complete dominion over the earth, chose, chose an unhappy life. He chose sin. He chose to try to live his own life he chose to try to seek life for himself. About 3,500 years ago, there was a king. His name was Solomon. You see, the first king, Adam, failed. He failed. And because he failed, sin came into the world. And because sin came into the world, there was lots of pain, lots of problems. And so God laid out a plan. God said, hey, listen, if you can do all these things, you can do all these things, and you're going to have a blessed life. But they can never do it. Why? because it was based on their own strength and ability, they needed a Savior. They needed someone who would come in their place. And God provided that someone through His Son, Jesus. His Son, Jesus, would become the supreme sacrifice. His Son, Jesus, would become the one that this blessed life would be possible through. The one for all history, for all generation, for all times. The first Adam fell, but the second Adam, the King of Kings, And the Lord of lords, he won. You see, when you begin to understand that the curse was not for you, the curse was not for you. The curse was meant for those who rebelled against God in heaven, for angel, for Satan, Lucifer, the devil, and the demons that followed him. That's who it was reserved for. But man chose to go their own way, just like Lucifer did in the very beginning. You see, when we choose to live life by our own dictates, by our own ideas, by our own thoughts, when we choose to live life contrary to the life that God has for us, we're placing ourselves under a curse. But you have the choice today. You can choose life. Jesus laid out the plan. Now, the concept today, the concept today isn't the concept that Solomon talked about. There was another king. His name was Solomon. He was the wisest man and the wealthiest man that had ever lived. He built the great wonders of the world. He built the temple, a beautiful edifice, a place to worship God. He built palaces and had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. He had great military might and power and influence in his generation. And the Bible says that he tried everything. He tried everything to try to find happiness. As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you'll see the words of Solomon. You'll see when he talks about how men try to find happiness. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, people try to accumulate stuff. I had everything. I had everything the world could offer. He said, I had not only stuff, but I gave myself to every pleasure. I gave myself to wine, to women, and to song. It's exactly what he said. He experimented with everything that could bring him pleasure. As many women as he wanted. As much as he wanted to drink as much wealth he could, he could do whatever he wanted because he was king, and he tried it. He says, not only did I give myself to every pleasure known to man, I sought success. I sought knowledge. I wrote and studied and knew about the animals, knew about the kingdoms of the world. He was the wisest man that ever lived. He had great success. The Bible says that when kings and queens would come from around the earth to see his kingdom, They'd say, wow, they actually said this. Wow, your servants must be very happy because he had it all. He was at the top. But he finishes this chapter with with these words, meaningless. All of it's meaningless. A chasing after the wind. See, that's the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world is the seeking of stuff, the seeking of pleasure, the seeking of success. Know all these things within themselves, God's created us for. God's given us all good things to enjoy. It's amazing how much stuff we have in our culture today. My house, you can't pull into the garage. You can't pull into the garage. So we have two automobiles that are parked right outside the garage. We have automobiles that are worth tens of thousands of dollars that are sitting outside the garage. And I have about $500 worth of stuff that's sitting inside the garage. But I got stuff. I got an attic full of stuff. And if I, that isn't enough, I need more space. I'll go rent myself a storage room to store some more stuff. And we got stuff. We're people with stuff. Everything in our culture is about consumption. It's about buying. And stuff is built for, to become obsolete very quickly. I told the second service, I said my wife's grandmother had a light bulb. True story. She had a light bulb on her porch in Portland, Oregon. And in the 1970s, this light bulb was over 50 years of age, and it was still burning. It wasn't like one of these extended life. I mean, it was just a light bulb that was built in the 1920s. And in the 1970s, 50 years later, that light bulb was still burning. Everything today is built for you to consume. Our whole economy is built on consump- consumption, throwaway, toss away, disposable. It's what keeps the cycle going. It's what keeps it happening. The accumulation of stuff. And it's not the stuff, but it's the seeking after and making that the priority of your life. It's not the success, but it's the seeking after and making that the priority. It's not the pleasure, but it's the seeking after and making that the priority of your life. It doesn't bring happiness. As a matter of fact, at the end, it always ends in meaningless. Being meaningless. It's not money. Psychologists have studied and It's a true fact that once a person has their basic needs met, of shelter, of food, of clothing, once people have their basic needs met, our culture, maybe that's 30,000 or 40,000 a year, once people have their basic needs met, their happiness level is no different than a person who makes a million dollars a year. It's no different. Now, if you don't have your basic needs met, it's a problem, and there's frustration, and there's a lot of unhappiness, but once you, you get your basic needs met... And most people have food. Most people have clothing. Most people are here today sitting in a building or living in a home. Most people have their basic needs met. And so happiness is not based on stuff. It's not based on pleasure. So those things are temporal. They're external. They come and go. Relationships come and go. Stuff comes and go. New automobile comes and go. Brand new house. Isn't a new house. Once you move into it, you see stuff. All these things. It's not what drives the internal work of happiness in your life. God has another way. God has another plan. You see, God's way has to do with your attitude. It has to do with the way that you think. See, my happiness today is not determined by my external circumstances, but it's determined by what's happening internally inside of me. First step to happiness. It's having a very clear sense of purpose of why you're here on this planet. First step to understanding happiness. What it is to be happy is understanding who you are in God. Someone once asked the question, where would you be if you had all the money your heart desires, if you had no worries, if you came home and the finest meal was waiting for you, if your bathwater had been run, if you had the perfect kids, if your partner was awaiting you with open arms and kisses. So where would you be hello, you'd be in the wrong house. You'd be in the wrong house. Sometimes that's how we view our life. We're not very happy. We have external, ex- external uh, perceptions and thinking about what truly brings happiness. In your notes this morning, I asked the question, take a moment, answer this question this week. I would be happier if, and then fill in the blank for yourself, I would be happier if. I'd be happier if. Our king, our king, the one who preached this message, the one who wants you to hear this message today, the most powerful message that Jesus ever delivered. It was the first message. It was the first one. It was to a people who had lost their way, weren't living the blessed life, weren't living the happy life that God had designed for them. Jesus says, listen, look what he says here. He says, happiness comes to those who recognize they are spiritually destitute. Happiness comes to those who recognize they are spiritually destitute. What a strange way to say it. Happiness comes to those who are poor in spirit. Look at verse number three with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. If you have your Bibles, you got to circle that word poor. If you have your little notes there, you can circle it in your handout. Circle that word poor. Blessed are the poor. Now some people have wanted to politicize this. Some people want to make this a social issue, social statement of Christ. That isn't what it was about at all. Jesus is talking about something that goes far beyond politics and far beyond the social economic realities of the day. Jesus is talking about the lives of people, the heart of man, recognizing that you are spiritually destitute without God. You're impoverished. You can't do it. You don't have the ability. You see, if you think you're smart enough, if you think you have a, be- a good enough education, or you're strong enough, or you're healthy enough, or you're young enough, or you're whatever, you're pretty enough, or whatever you think, you can make it happen. As long as you think that, God will let you try. But when you come to the place of recognizing that you can't do it without God, the prophet Isaiah in Zechariah 4, 6 said it like this, it's not by my might, nor by my power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That was an acknowledgement, An acknowledgement that he couldn't do it on his own, and either can you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Some have called this the upside-down kingdom. Everyone say, upside-down. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's an upside-down way of looking at life. It's completely contrary to the natural way that men think. I need God. I've tried it on my own. I can't do it without Him. You see, it's about adopting and surrendering and giving yourself to the values of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom says, You're poor. You can't do it without Him. You know, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in Jesus' day, there were a group of people who thought they had it all figured out. They had all the rules right, they had a bunch of regulations, and they were doing it all right. And, and they were criticizing Jesus because the way He was doing ministry. And Jesus said, "Listen, the healthy don't need a physician. The healthy that I' got all get it figured out. They don't need a physician, but it's the sick among you that need a physician and someone to heal them. Your first step in understanding the happy life. Your very first step is you've got to realize that you need God. You can't do it on your own. Jesus came to those who would admit that their own personal resources were inadequate. You're walking down a dusty road, and you see this turtle that somebody has placed upon a fence. You know, the fact is, you looked at that turtle, and you didn't think, oh, wow, I wonder how that turtle climbed up on top of that fence post. Oh, man, that's ama- that turtle, that's the most amazing. Hey, i got to go uh, ama- America's most amazing videos and take a video of this turtle that can jump from the ground on top of a fence post. No, of course not. You know that someone placed that turtle on top of that fence post. You see, that's what we understand. It's God that placed you. It's God gives you the ability in your job. It's God that gives you the ability to succeed and gain wealth in your family. It's God that gives you the ability to raise successful children in your relationship with your spouse. It's God that gives you the ability to live and be the kind of husband, the kind of wife. If you're a student at school, it's God that gives you the ability to do your very best for him wherever station, whatever station, wherever you're at in life, it is God that gives you the strength. It's amazing grace. You see, this is the picture of God's happy life. You see, the rest of your life, if you live by the message of God's kingdom, by the rule of God, the rule of God, right now, it might have already happened, but today, the president's wife, Michelle Barack, Michelle Obama. Obama, she's having lunch with a king and a queen, literally, an earthly king and queen. The king of Spain and the queen of Spain, they're earthly kings. They have a monarch. They have a kingdom. It's the country of Spain. They rule over the government. They rule over the military. They have a kingdom. We don't generally think of kingdoms. We think of presidents and elected, but he wasn't elected. He was was king. He became king. He was appointed to become king, and he has his kingdom. He understands the kingdom. see, we, we have choices and we vote. But if you live in a monarchy under a kingdom, you don't have a lot of choice about who your king is. See, we're under a different kingdom. And once we surrender to the kingdom, not of this world, but to the kingdom of God, his kingdoms become our kingdoms. His values become our values. And now we're on the road to living the blessed and the happy life. The second thing that I want you to see is happiness is found by those who were saddened by their own sin. Listen to me today. Listen to me today. They are saddened by their own sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. A deep sorrow, a deep sadness for your sin. Realizing. Realizing. When you come to the point, listen, when you come to the point, the realization that it was your sin, that put Christ to the cross. That's where change begins to take place. That's where the happy life begins to start in your life. It was you. Years ago, there was a famous philosopher. His name was G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was a professor at Oxford. He was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. G.K. Chesterton one day received a letter in the mail from a famous, world, uh, famous editor of a magazine. And he asked him, he said, G.K. Chesterton, what is what in, the world, what in the world is wrong with this world? What's wrong with this world? Why is it so messed up? G.K. Chesterton responded simply with these words. I am, signed, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? Me. You see, it's not until you stop looking at everyone else and everything else and blaming everyone else and you take full responsibility for your own life, for the sin that's in your own life, that nailed Christ to the tree. The sin in your own life that brought you to the place where you are today. It's not until you come to that point that you can begin to live the blessed life. See that, that admission, that surrender. Oh God. You know, when I really had that realization, November 17, 1983, wow, it was life changing. I realized I was, had been trying to do it my own way. And I was seeking stuff and I was seeking pleasure and I was seeking success and all those things that are found through my own achievements, and it left me totally empty. It left me addicted. It left me broken. It left me in broken relationships with my parents and family. But when it came to that realization that it was me, I was the center. I was the center. John Newton, the famous author who wrote the song, Amazing Grace. You guys know the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that has saved a wretch like me. John Newton, at the end of his life, wrote these words. He says, I'm getting old and my memory is short, but there's two things that I remember. One, I am a great sinner. And two, my Jesus is a great Savior. You see, that's what happens. When you enter into that realization that you need God, you need him to save you from your sins and to forgive you. When you confess it and acknowledge it, then the blessed life, the happy life, opens to you. The third thing that I want you to see this morning is that happiness is found where there is true humility. Look at verse number five. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Are you hearing me today? Are you listening to me? Listen to the pathway. Listen to this process. You see, l- listen to the journey that Jesus is taking u- you on today. It's not the arrival, but it's the process of getting to that destination. It's living that life. Happiness is found where there is true humility. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. To the modern mind, to the human thinking, meekness is equated with weakness. We think of a Mr. Rogers. We think of a Mr. Rogers when we think of somebody, kind of a pushover, really easy. You know, really kind of a, kind of a light guy. Not a man. No, that's not meekness at all. Meekness is control, is power under control. Meekness is power under control. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek. Meek is power under control. That's literally what it means. The Holy Spirit lives in you when you become a believer. And he's given you self-control. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to control your emotions, to control your choices, to control your thoughts. The Holy Spirit of God gives you supernatural power that is under control. You see, the kind of control the world, kind of control the world says, dominion, domination, get my way, get my peace, my share of the pie. Maybe you've seen or you've gone to a place where they're giving something out for free. And all the people clamoring to try to get, you know, whatever that free item was. People pushing and shoving and trying to get their piece of it. Afraid that there wasn't enough to go around. So that's the mindset of the world. Dominion. But meekness says, no. I submit my life to the control and the power of God. See, wild stallion. wild stallion has the potential to become an incredible racehorse. They race and breed them now. And I love to watch horse racing. I've never gambled on horse racing before, never bet on a horse before or on the ponies. But I've watched them before. I've watched the Preakness. I, I watched, I, I, I've, I've watched the, the horse races, the Kentucky Derbys. I've seen them in my life, and it's an amazing thing to see that beautiful stallion, that beautiful horse completely under control of its rider. The way that it races around that track, full tilt, completely under control. See, that's a, that's a horse that's, the, the stallion in them has been controlled. When I was a little kid, my dad had a couple of horses, and one of the horses that we had was named Frisky. And Frisky was named Frisky for a reason. You know what I mean? It really, she was really frisky. And one particular day, you know, Frisky, if Frisky didn't like you or Frisky sense fear in you and you tried to get on her, she would buck you off. Well one, you know, and and that would be a bad day for you. And I wasn't allowed to ride Frisky because Frisky was very temperamental and would buck people off. Frisky Frisky hadn't been broken correctly. Whenever they broke Frisky, they they didn't break Frisky all the way down and never controlled that power. So Frisky would buck people that would try to ride her off of her back. One day my dad decided to jump up on Frisky and Frisky threw my dad off, and guess what? Not only was it a bad day for Frisky, but maybe for my dad, but it was a bad day for Frisky. I mean, a really bad day. Because right after that, Frisky became America's dog food, and that was the end of her life. True story. Now, my dad, you can go talk to him. He's buried in Tucson, Arizona, in the graveyard down there. But the reality is, the reality is, is that stallion out under control brought pain into people's life. Your life not under control of the Holy Spirit, not surrendered to the meekness of God, brings pain. Number four, happiness is found where there is a desire for right living. Look at verse number six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What do you hunger for today? What do you, what do you hunger for? The worldly thinker looks at happiness in the opposite terms. Living for your own feelings, your own desires. See, so whatever you hunger for, you do. And the more you do that, the more you hunger for it. Whatever it is. Whatever that's entertainment, it's television, it's internet, it's video games, it's alcohol, it's drugs, it's sex, it's work. Whatever whatever you find in your life, this sense of pleasure. Whatever you find this in your life that you're trying to fill your life with. Whatever you do, whatever you desire, you'll do more of. Jesus said if you want to live a blessed life, a happy life, listen to what he says. He says, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The word righteousness simply means a right way of living. Actually, the word means to be virtuous, a virtuous way of life, making right choices. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again today. If you want to to feel good, then you do good. If you want to have a right life, and a good life, and a blessed life, then do what is right. Do the right things based on God's Word. How hungry are you today for righteousness? How hungry are you today for God's presence in your life? What do you desire? What do you desire? You know, when I first came to Jesus, I was so hungry for the Bible. I was so hungry for the Bible. But you know, 27 years, there have been times in my life when I was more hungry for remote control. I was more hungry to go and do something that I wanted to do than I was to spend time with God. See, that's a great challenge to every person. Familiarity has a a tendency to breed contempt. How many times have you gone to a church service? How many times have you listened to somebody speak on and on? How many times have you worshipped? How many times have you given an offering? How many times? Sometimes that familiarity, we lose that sense of the reality of hunger for God. Hungering for righteousness, for His way of living what are you hungering for today? What are you hungering for today? The Holy Spirit speaking to you. He spoke to me this week. The Holy Spirit speaking to every person in this room. You see, sometimes we don't feel like hungering for doing right. So what do we do? Jude says it like this, stir yourself up in your most holy faith. In other words, you take action. You do something. Do something. Do something that's virtuous. Do something that's right. See, what happens when you begin to do, you begin to change the way that you feel. If you feel like holding on to something, give it away. I love my wife because she is so generous. She's like the most generous person on the planet. She, I mean, you go into her closet, and she's got this one whole section in her closet, and it's got all these bags, and she, whenever, like, you know, bed, bath, and beyond all these places, and they have all the cells, and she'll buy up all this stuff, and, and she loves to give. She just, she always, she gives to birthdays, and she gives to this, that, this thing, and she gives to this, and she gives to that. She loves to give. She loves to give. She's a great example. A couple of weeks ago, Christina Martin, Dave Martin's wife, was sitting in the front row, and and my wife had a really nice ankle bracelet that I bought her for her birthday, and uh, it was a bright ankle bracelet, and she saw that Christina didn't have one, so she took it off, and she gave it to her right in the middle of service. She just gave. She lived, she lives generously. She lived open hands we live to give. We love to give. Do a kind deed. Do something kind. Don't do it because you're going to get a reward. Last night, we went out to dinner after prayer and we were sitting there and uh, I had to make a choice. We had a waiter and he forgot every single thing I told him. I mean, he forgot. I asked him for this. He forgot that. So by the end of the night, it was like five things in a row he'd forgotten and I had to make a choice. And so I said, hey, I asked him his name, and he told me his name, and I said, I said, how long have you worked here? He said, eight years. I'm like, eight years? You've got to be kidding me. Eight years. I said, you've you been here that long? Eight years. I had to make a choice. Could have been critical, could have been mean. But you know what I did? I got the bill. I blessed him. I gave him a generous tip, and I thanked him. You know, because my wife and I got a saying in our family, it's not going to be the last meal that we ever eat. Now you say, well, you're rewarding bad service. Well, you know what? I chose to be kind to someone who didn't deserve to be kind. See, that's the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom is you begin to see things from a different perspective. It's not the last meal that you're going to ever make me eat. And what's important is the attitude that you choose to demonstrate towards that person. Spend a few minutes with someone who needs encouragement. Laugh often. Give thanks like little Jessica. Pray. On your way to works, work, work. Do something in your local church without expecting your pastor to pat you on the back and thank you. Plan as though you'll live forever and live as though you'll die tomorrow. See, today you have a choice. the happy life. Happiness is found where there is forgiveness that is practiced. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Extending mercy to other people. The value of the kingdom. God's merciful to you. He gave you a chance. Gave you another opportunity. God is merciful. There's not a day in my life that I don't thank God for his mercy. I just, I know that I shouldn't be here. Extending mercy to others. We all love to have mercy. We all love to receive mercy. But it's not always so easy to give mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. You know, it's, when, it's easy when you're younger to have it figured out. And we have a tendency to be critical towards other people. But what I've discovered, what I've discovered is that no one has it all figured out. A couple of weeks ago, we had Dave Martin here. This guy literally preaches in the largest churches not only in America but in the world. And he's an incredible communicator. I mean, he's phenomenal. He was funny. He was message to the point. You could st- I could still remember his three points. It was simple. It was challenging. It was convicting. Favor, wisdom, generosity. I mean, it was, it was challenging to me. Somebody told my son, ah, I don't know, that wasn't that great. I like, my son. like, you've got to be kidding me. And what I've discovered is if you've never done it before, you have no idea. Right, Pastor Glenn? If you've never had to preach... And to hold an audience's attention, you got no idea. I mean, really. It's a challenge. You need the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Extend mercy. Give mercy to people. Give mercy to people who don't, who don't need it. You know, sometimes we forget the own beam in our own eye. We want to pull it out of other people's eyes. We want to be critical of other people. Forgiving people who've wronged us. This week, phone call phone call. Marriage is through. Someone have been in our church for years. going to think about that. They weren't interested in talking about their relationship. They weren't interested in getting it fixed. What I realized is that there was years of unforgiveness. They had never forgiven. Neither one. Both blaming each other. Never wanted to change. It was the other person's fault. You know what that is? It's called unforgiveness. And unforgiveness will destroy your life. Jesus said, extend mercy to those who don't receive it. Happiness is found where there is a pure heart. Purity in our culture isn't popular. Purity comes when we make a choice to put God first in our lives. Purity comes when we make choices to value God's kingdom above our way of living. Purity determines the choices that we make. Paul the Apostle said, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, Whatever things are pure, if there be any virtue, think on these things. Purity begins in the mind. Pure. God is a holy God. God is a holy God. The book of Hebrews says that no man shall see God unless they're holy. Jesus said, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I can't do it. You're absolutely right. You can't do it. You can't be perfect on your own. You can't do it. But you have a God who's given you the power and the strength to say yes. Yes to a pure heart. You say, I've got to make choices every day. God, I want a pure heart. And the things that you watch and the things that you see and the things that you think about will determine what takes place in your heart. Every action that you ever commit always starts right here in your mind. The mind. The washing, Paul says, the renewing of your mind. It's a choice. You renew the mi- your mind through the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. You allow the Word of God to get into your heart. So I want you to see this last thing here. Happiness found is where conflict resolution is practiced. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You know everybody wants peace. Everybody wants peace. Everybody. Everybody is peace lovers. We're all peace lovers. We all want peace. But the reality is, it isn't because you're a peace lover that peace comes. Peace comes because you... Intentionally resolve conflict that's in your life. You don't bury problems under the rug. We all do it. No one wants, everyone wants to be liked. No one wants to confront issues. We don't like to confront it because we want everybody to be happy. But the reality is today, you'll never be happy until you resolve conflicts, issues that are in your life. Now it's doing the right thing at the right time. Some people will go after a conflict and the timing isn't right. And they, they did the right thing at the wrong time, and they still got a wrong decision. But when you do the right thing at the right time, you resolve the conflict. The Holy Spirit, this is how you know, the Holy Spirit will begin to just give you a sense of uneasiness. You'll just feel uneasy. You'll, you'll feel like you've got to deal with this issue. It's not resolved. It's an unresolved issue. That's how you know God wants you to resolve that conflict. See, peace-loving and peacemakers are two different things. My two boys could be in the back seat and they could be fighting and fussing and arguing and I can bring I can make them peace loving. I just gotta say, knock it off. That's all I gotta do. Knock it off. Boys, knock it off. And guess what? Peace comes into my car. That's all I gotta do. Knock it off. Peace comes. Now the mom says it, it might not happen that way, but when Dad says it, see that but that's not that's not resolved conflict. That's not peacemaking. They've never sat down and resolved that issue. And so the moment I step away, conflict resumes. Why? Because they didn't resolve the issue. You you can force peace for a moment. All over the world, countries and nations are on the verge of war. And the problem is, there's no dialogue. There's no conflict resolution. Both sides are locked in. Both sides are stuck in their position. Both sides... Refuse to see the other side's position. One side might be totally wrong. Might, one side might be totally right. But until you stop yelling at one another, and start talking to one another, you'll never resolve the conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers. Listen to this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. That's what Christians are. Christians are peacemakers. We're not just peace lovers. We're peacemakers. And there's a big difference. Peacemakers, peacemakers become sons of the kingdom. And when you become a child of the kingdom, you experience persecution. Because not everyone is living or desiring to live the same kind of life that you live. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they hated the prophets who told truth, they'll hate you. Now here, listen to me real quick. We're going to finish with this. Listen to this. Listen, you don't want people not to like you because you're a jerk or because you're mean Are you unkind? No. No. But people will not like you because you stand for certain things. You stand for truth. You stand for a right way of living. Not everyone is happy that you're happy. As a matter of fact, what I've discovered in life is that people start to live the blessed life. There are other people around them that want to pull them back down. There are other people that want to bring them back down their level because you know what misery loves Misery loves company. Misery loves company. The way that you know that you're being effective, the way that City Church knows that we're being effective in this community is when there are people who aren't going to like us. And the more effective that we become at becoming sons of the kingdom, the more effective that we become at living the blessed life, the more effective. There will be people who won't like you. There will be people who are open, who will love you, who will be grateful for you. But listen, one of the ways that you know that you are the salt of the earth, one of the ways that you know that you'll be the light that's set upon that hill, is when there's conflict. And not conflict because you've got an opposite opinion, but conflict because you're demonstrating the values and the life of the kingdom. That's when persecution comes. And if you're living the life in your workplace, you'll experience it. We all do. But there's a promise, there's a reward. There's always a reward to those who live the life of the kingdom. It's a happy life. Everyone say happy. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm holy. I'm humble. I'm faith-filled. I'm fun-loving. And I'm a born-again Christian. That's God's desire for you today.
0: Thanks for listening to this message, How to Live a Happy Life, with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.